Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of If You Smell What the Arch Is Cooking. That's right. It's been a little while, ladies and gentlemen. I took a one-week hiatus off after WrestleMania because I was very wrestled out. I, You know, something of upwards of 28 hours of wrestling during WrestleMania weekend. I was just overwhelmed and burnt out, so I needed a week to come to myself. But then... Life heavily got in the way, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I, I know some of you know this because of seeing my postings on Facebook and in the different groups, but to those who don't and only listen here on Spotify or wherever it is that you listen to, if you smell what the arch is cooking, uh, I had a very uh, life-threatening issue. Um, I went to the hospital because my blood pressure was uh, 190 over 150, uh, quite high. And they told me that um, I had a lot of water around my heart and my lungs um, and that I was experiencing heart failure. They took a bunch of tests. They looked through everything, CAT scan, EKG, uh, you name it. And they finally came to the understanding that it was uh, something called acute conjunctive heart disease. Um, So they sent me home with a blood pressure medication as well as a water pill to hopefully fix me. Well, over the last week since I've been home, everything seems to be agreeing with me. I have my first doctor's visit in a couple of days, and all is well, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank everybody who reached out to me, everyone who left comments, everyone who left their prayers and their good vibrations. Um, it, it truly shows you what kind of a community we have here on Facebook and in the podcast realm. Um, it wasn't a fun situation. It was definitely very scary. Um, but just knowing that I had such a support system helped me make it through, as well as my wife, my parents, my children, all watching out for me, making sure that I'm doing well. My wife now watching me like a hawk, but it's all for good reason uh, that I feel better and I get better. Uh, the doctors say through weight loss and proper eating and diet and, and exercise, I can eventually come off of the uh, blood pressure medication and live a happy and healthy life. So. Here's to it. Um, That's enough about me, though. We are here back with our normal format after a two-week drop of no-shows. And again, I apologize for that, but I just explained what had gone down. Tonight, we'll have our quick hits. We'll have NXT 2.0, AEW Dynamite, and AEW Rampage, as well as a little something different at the end instead of what grinds my gears. Um, As I normally kick the show off, I tell you, Let's go ahead and pop our favorite frosty beverage. Well, I can't be doing that right now, but please, in honor of me, pop your favorite frosty beverage. Sit down and listen as I spew my venom, my hate, and my love for the world of professional wrestling. And tonight we are kicking off with quick hits. WWE calls LA Knight up to the main roster as a manager for Mace. Now, this happened during a dark match uh, after um, a Monday Night Raw and SmackDown taping. We did not see that this week, though, um, during Monday Night Raw or SmackDown for him to be on the live show, actually. So I'm assuming this is something that they are kicking around and uh, seeing, you know, if it works out well. I like Elliot Knight in the ring. I liked him in uh, Impact. I enjoy that he's back in the WWE uh, and in NXT. He was not on NXT this week, so that leads me to believe that he has been called up to the main roster. 
uh, in any indication. Do I think he would make a great manager? Yes. But I think that he makes a better mouthpiece for himself and definitely a better wrestler uh, than just being a manager. And um, look, Theo Madden, who plays Mace and was in uh, Retribution and everything that went down with that, fine athlete, was a hell of a football player. I don't think that he needed a manager. I don't think that he needed to be left under the mask. I think that both he and uh, Dominic Dijakovic needed to be revamped as a better tag team. Whether or not they needed LA Knight with them, hey, they could have done that by adding LA Knight as their manager slash, um, you know, group leader. Put them together with him. Let them be his heavies. Let them be his heavies as uh, bodyguards. It all works out. But in any indication, good to hear that LA Knight is possibly being called up to the main roster. And I do hope that this leads to him going from manager to wrestler, as we've seen with the likes of Diesel and many other superstars who they couldn't fit in right away as a superstar and went with a manager and then found something for. Quick hit number two, Kushida leaves the WWE. The former Cruiserweight champion apparently was very disgruntled with his placement in NXT and NXT at Level Up. He had been teeping, uh, teaming with Jiro as Jacket Time. Um, I always made fun of that name because they said there was either going to be Jacket Time or Japanese Japanese. Uh, and I think that Jiro has a very comical gimmick, but not one that fit Kushida. Um, so Kushida has left the WWE. Something's telling me that we may see him go back to Japan, but possibly not full-time. We could very easily see him in Impact Wrestling where other Japanese wrestlers have gone now and be involved in their X Division, which is slowly becoming a great asset to them once again. Or we could see him in AEW uh, where other Japanese super, superstars are going and uh, having great uh, success as well. But also, which brings us to our third quick hit, we could see him end up in AEW for a one-time uh, visit. And I'll get to that in, in a minute. Um, Kushida is a fantastic wrestler. I believe a seven-time IWGP uh, light heavyweight champion, as well as their light heavyweight tag team champions a couple of times also. Um, worked well with others, had great matches with uh, Ricochet, uh, Rocky Romero, uh, members of Rapungi Vice. There were, uh, there were many, many wrestlers in the New Japan roster. Bushi, um, you know, that he had great matches with. I don't imagine him not returning to Japan, but whatever he does, I wish him the absolute best. And it really goes to show that uh, United States promotions do not know how to carry these uh, Japanese wrestlers. Um, Impact Wrestling, back when they were TNA, fumbled with the likes of um, Okada and uh, Tanahashi. The WWE has now fumbled with the likes of Kushida. The Good Brothers who came from Japan, uh, you know, American wrestlers, but they were great in Japan, didn't do very well in the WWE. Um, you know what I mean? And you look at a guy like Shinsuke Nakamura, he's not being used very well. But I think the reason that he's staying in the United States is because he's happy here and he likes the money that he's making. In any indication, again, I wish Kushida the absolute best. And I hope that we get to see him wrestling and having fun again 
back in New Japan or in AEW. And as I said, quick hit number three could be where Kushida ends up. It was announced by Tony Khan and Adam Cole and the New Japan president that on June 26th in Chicago, Illinois, AEW New Japan will host a joint pay-per-view called The Forbidden Door. Uh, We will see wrestlers from New Japan and AEW having tremendous matches. I'm all for it. I am definitely down to see this. I do hope that Impact kind of gets in the mix as well so we can get some of those Honor No More wrestlers like Matt Taven and uh, Michael uh, Bennett who have been in New Japan before as well as the Good Brothers and as well as the uh, X Division. Uh, Of course, I hope Kenny Omega returns just before this pay-per-view so that we could possibly get a Okada Omega rematch, but only in the States this time. Um, it's an it's an amazing um, thing that AEW is doing here to be putting up quite a show with uh, New Japan. The last time they attempted to do this, and they had a New Japan show in the States, which was in MSG, it sold out. So you only really have to think of it this way. If it sold out once, and now you're adding AEW and wrestlers from all over the world, it should sell out again, and it should be a damn good show. So big ups to uh, Tony Khan for making this happen. I know people make jokes that Tony Khan is always making announcements and that he's become the uh, new Dixie Carter and that there's always going to be a big announcement next week. But in any indication, I think this one definitely... um, Definitely did what it was supposed to. And finally, quick hit number four. Bret Hart has signed back with the WWE. Many people are saying that Bret was thinking about going to AEW to be a part of the Owen Hart Foundation tournament that they're having uh, and to also possibly manage FTR. But the WWE quickly grabbed a hold of Bret probably offered him a tremendous amount of money and uh, have done this in order to block AEW from using Brett again. Because if you remember, during the world title tournament, Brett came out and handed the first ever AEW World Heavyweight Champion, Chris Jericho, the belt. And it was odd to see Brett on another channel once again because we thought that Bridges had been mended and everything was going well with him in the WWE. But apparently that wasn't the case back then. Now... He's going for whatever he can and doing what he can to join back up with the WWE. I would like to have seen him in AEW, not because I wanted him to to manage FTR, but because I would like him to have something to do with the Owen Hart tournament. But with everything that's going on with Martha and the Hart family and the WWE, I can understand where Brett is coming from and possibly taking a back seat here and waiting until one day that maybe he can honor his brother in the WWE and rather in, than in AEW. So that's going to do it for quick hits this uh, this time around. Let's get to NXT 2.0. First show we'll be reviewing here. And we get a replay to start us off of what went down in the tag team title to picture last week. Pretty Deadly got the win over uh, the Diamond Mind and are the new tag team champions, and they're starting us out this week on NXT. I've yet to learn either of these guys' names, but they are quite weird and very annoying. 
Uh, they get interrupted by the grizzled young veterans, who I do like, and who are in turn interrupted by Legato del Fantasma. As a fight is being broken out, Braun Breaker hits the ring and calls out Joe Gacy. But Gacy only appears by video, and since Braun can come find him. A lot going on to start off the, the beginning of this episode, but I like it. It's, it's adding to a lot of the storylines that are already going on. We hear from Santos Escobar and then he, and that he had promised to put Carmelo and uh, Hayes into place tonight and uh, gain back an access to getting the North American title once again. We then flip to Melo and he and Trick say they need to remind everybody who the A champion is and always will be. We then go to the ring for our opening match and it is Tiffany Stratton versus Soraya. It's the Barbie versus Harry Potter or whatever they are having Soraya be this week. They gave them about five minutes, and it actually wasn't a bad match. They went move for move with no one getting a clear-cut advantage. Saray had a crazy-looking dropkick through the ropes, but she made one mistake, which allowed Tiffany to hit a spiral splash from the second rope and get the win. Decent opening match here for NXT. Backstage, Gibson and Drake are looking for Pretty Deadly, and Braun is looking for Joe Gacy. He isn't happy. To relive the video of his father being held captive a couple of weeks ago as he finds an iPad in the same cage that Rick was being held captive. Braun storms off naked, and we find Pretty Deadly, who happen upon Indy and Persia. Uh, they try to get Dexter and Duke a shot at the titles, but the tag team champs backpedal. We then go to McKenzie speaking with Grayson Waller. He fired Sangha last week, which I, I didn't even hear about, and is going to have a match with him later. He's interrupted by Andre Chase, and then Chase to the ring by Sangha. A lot of interruptions tonight in the early going, but anyway, it's time for Sangha versus Waller. Um, Sangha reminds me of a Punjabi uh, Braun Strowman. Uh, I mean, down to the wardrobe, guys. It's ridiculous. He beat the hell out of Waller for five minutes straight, but Waller hit his finisher out of nowhere and got the win. Not great, but definitely going to be a terrible and short storyline. We look back at Cora Jade and Natalia from last week. Cora says she thinks Natalia is wrong, and she's going to beat her former hero. I don't know why they sent Natalia to NXT. She was bad on the main roster at what she was doing recently with, uh, you know, Shayna Baszler as a tag team, and didn't look great last week on NXT either. They're really pushing Natalia as much as they can. But to be honest with you, I don't get what all this whole sending main roster stars to NXT who were not in NXT. AJ Styles, Dolph Ziggler, and Natalia. None of them stepped foot in this developmental. Sure, Dolph and Natalia were in other developmental territories from WWE, but they were not in NXT as a whole. A vignette for Roxanne Perez then is shown, and she's reminding me of AJ Lee. I got a feeling she's going to be just that. She's then speaking to Mackenzie and is approached by Toxic Attraction. JC Jane challenges her to a match tonight, and she accepts. This is the fourth interruption tonight. I'm not understanding it, actually. And I get it, it's leading to matches, but it's not leading to anything that's already had an ongoing storyline. So it's almost like the interruption is the beginning of the storyline. It's getting a little weary. Legata del Fantasma then take on the Grizzled Young Veterans. We go to the ring and the match begins with Legato and GYV getting started quickly. Wild with a huge flanza and Legato gets the upper hand. The Vets then turn it around with some great double-team wrestling. And both teams are showing us something. 
Drake and Gibson have a miscommunication. Legato turned it into their finisher, and they get the win in six minutes. Very good tag match, but I wanted more. Should have got like 10 to 15 minutes, in my opinion. Escobar then calls out Hayes for their match and tells Tony D to keep an eye out how a real leader wins a match. McKenzie is backstage with Wesley. He says the last couple of weeks have been rough for him, of course, with uh, Nash Carter getting fired. And, oh, what a surprise. He's interrupted by Zion Quinn. Quinn challenges Lee to a match, and he accepts. Tonight's, but tonight must be open fight night. You just walk up to your opponent and say, hey, blah, 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 I want a match. I don't know. Escobar then takes on Hayes, and these two stole the show, in my opinion. On the mat and through the air, they had a stellar match. Back and forth, Santos and Carmelo showed the NXT arena that there is no one better. Escobar hit a suicide dive to the outside and took out Hayes, but from out of nowhere, two suited figures took him out with a crowbar. I wonder who they're with. Back in the ring, Hayes hits his big leg drop from the top and gets the win at the 16-minute mark. Enjoyed this one immensely. Great, great matchup. Carmelo then called out Cameron Grimes, and Grimes immediately answered. Grimes lets Hayes know that he can have his title match, but that he may want to turn around. And just then, Solo Sequoia hit him with a super kick and took out both Carmelo and Trick. I smell a triple threat match coming, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm not mad at that because I like all three guys involved. And I think that this could lead to a continued, um, I don't know, bigger things for the North American title. Uh, You know, it's being pushed as the main title at times, so why not? Malcolm Bivis is backstage with Roderick Strong. Roddy promises to turn things around for the Diamond Mine, but Malcolm doesn't look like he seems to be buying it. I don't know. Natalia then takes on Paxton. Natalia made short work of Paxton, and I mean that literally. This match was two minutes and 40 seconds long. I really don't understand the booking here, and I really don't get making someone who calls themselves the boat look strong. Natalia can deliver a great pay-per-view, but she doesn't need to look strong against the NXT roster. If she's there to fight Jade, let them continue to have a promo battle and get them straight to a match and either let Natalia win or Cora win. But whatever the case is, get this over, said, and done with. We need somebody else from the main roster on NXT. Hopefully someone who's been there, and we need it done quickly. Tony D lets the cameraman know that he had nothing to do with the attack on Escobar earlier, but I don't believe him. I don't think you do either. Next week, newcomer Nathan Frazier makes his debut. I guess some more students are being called up with with Roxanne Perez and Nathan uh, Frazier getting some uh, vignettes. I'm all for it. I like when they bring in new people as long as they're good. Duke Hudson tried to talk to Dexter Loomis, but that seems almost impossible. This storyline is not very enjoyable. We then go to Zion Quinn taking on Wes Lee. Lee attempted to use his quickness in this one, but the strength of Quinn was just too much. Quinn hit his flying forearm a la Tito Santana and gets the win in four minutes. Backstage, McKenzie asks Natalia why she attacked Cora Jane last week, and Natalia gives her a very caring response that too many NXT people are being called up to the roster and trying to take her spot, so she figured she'd come to them and cut them off at the pass. She is then interrupted by Nikita Lyons. Nikita challenges Natty, and I'm, I'm not interested in this one. I don't see the hoopla on Nikita. I understand she's got a big ass and some other assets, but you know, want to know the truth. She's she's really mediocre, and they're pushing her way too hard. We then find out that Jiro will be out another uh, 
about a month. Uh, he is the other half of Jack of Time, like I mentioned. Uh, and he was attacked by Von Wagner last week and thrown into the crowd. Wagner was suspended because of it as well. This is now Von Wagner's second suspension. I think they're getting a little carried away with the whole keep this guy on TV, off TV as much as they can uh, BS that they've been doing. Then we have J.C. Jane taking on Roxel Perez. Uh, Roxanne Perez, excuse me. J.C. has the upper hand and was beating down the newcomer on her debut. Several near falls in this one, and then it happened. Wendy Chu distracted Jane on the big screen, and Roxanne got the roll-up win in three-minute mark. I'm okay with this because it was her debut, but a little predictable, and I don't get why they're pushing Wendy Chu so quickly and so hard against Toxic Attraction. Legato them the Del Fantasma are now pissed off and walking out of the arena, though they find out that the tires are flat and a dead fish on the hood. I guess the SUV now sleeps with the fishes. I don't know. Uh, Joe Gacy watched Braun Breaker search for him and says it's time he ends this. And then we go to the ring for our main event. Pretty Deadly versus Dexter Loomis and Duke Hudson. So everyone else has to fight for a contendership here. But Dexter and Duke get a shot in their first week of being a uh, team just because. Uh, got it. Uh, the storyline here was Loomis and Hudson had no chemistry and pitted pretty deadly being the best tag team we've ever seen. Honestly, I don't buy it because both teams look sloppy. Pretty deadly got the win in 10 minutes, and that's it because their celebration was cut short by Joe Gacy. Again, another interruption. Gacy calls out Braun Breaker, and he answers. They go face-to-face, -face and Gacy says he'll return Rick Steiner's Hall of Fame ring if Braun gives him a title shot. Braun agrees. He gets back the ring and then is pushed off the stage by Gacy to about a 10-foot drop. <clears throat> He's then covered by 10 druids, and you hear him screaming, get off of me while we go off the air. And I have to say, wow, what an ending to that segment. I give this week a 3.5 out of 5. A lot of interruptions, some way too quick matches, and a couple of segments that were boring. But Breaker and Gacy and the couple of matches I did enjoy kept this show with a winning grade. So, not bad for NXT Dynamite my first week back watching it. I'd like the uh, interruptions to stop, of course, but what are you going to do? In any indication, we now go to AEW Dynamite, which was on a whole other spectrum. Call me a fanboy, I don't care. AEW Dynamite has been delivering. And here's why. We open up tonight's show with our first time one-on-one -on -one encounter. CM Punk versus Dustin Rhodes. Great way to start off the show as these two went back and forth. Arm drags, hip tosses, and submissions started off the feeling out process. Rhodes took advantage with his size, but Punk would counter and come back. They both wore each other down, Dustin even hitting a pile driver out of nowhere, and weakened the back of CM Punk. Punk went for the GTS, but Rhodes tried to reverse it. But we got a roll-up and a three, and CM Punk gets the win in 17 minutes. Incredible wrestling match. Great way to open the show. Post-match, we see a stare-down on the stage between Punk and AEW champion Adam Page. Let's fucking go, ladies and gentlemen. I can't wait to see that. Wardlow arrived at the arena and was greeted by Mark Sterling. Wardlow must be cuffed and escorted by security until his match later on with the Butcher. We then go back to the ring for a six-man tag match. It's Daniels, Brian Danielson, Wheeler Yuta, and John Moxley taking on Brock Anderson, Dante Martin, and Liam Moriarty. 
and this one started out as a brawl with all members of Team Regal beating down their opponents. Danielson held control for his team, but Lee Moriarty was definitely the standout for his. In the end, all three members of Team Regal pounded down on their opponents. We saw a double army DDT from Moxley, and they get the win in 12 minutes. Great showing by all, and one hell of a fight, in my opinion. I like what they're doing with this whole uh, Blackpool combat club. And um, I like that they're giving all three uh, a great amount of time when they are in a match with one another. Backstage, Kyle O'Reilly tries to rally the troops and get the Bucks and Coles back on board. Apparently, next week, we'll see a 10-man tag. I guess that's okay. It just seems to me a lot of multi-man matches when it comes to the undisputed elite. Uh, what they're calling themselves anyway. Um, and I could do without it. I'd like to see regular tag matches than these 6 and 10 and 12-man tags, but that's just me. We hear from Samoa Joe, Jay Lethal, and Sunday Joe. Uh, all involved seemed hyped, and I think this is going to be a good storyline for the Ring of Honor World Television title. Tony Khan comes to, out to make his announcement, as I talked about earlier during the quick hits. But he is an immediately um, interrupted by Adam Cole. Cole cut him off to make the announcement about the Forbidden Door and announced Jay White. Jay White said it isn't about New Japan or AEW. It's about the Undisputed Elite and the Bullet Club. I'm going to have to say, prove it. Look, the Bullet Club has not been a hole for quite some time. Problems with the Gorillas of Destiny and everybody back in New Japan. The Bullet Club is off in Impact Wrestling. The Undisputed Elite is in AEW. Let's see it then. Let's see what the Bullet Club and the Undisputed Elite can do. And if Kenny comes back, then I've got a feeling we're in for a really good showing. Wardlow versus Butcher is next. The Battle of Two Beasts, which was exactly that. Butcher gave Wardlow a fight, but Mr. Mayhem was bigger and badder. After three huge power bombs, Wardlow got the win at the six-minute mark. I continue to enjoy how the storyline progresses and how they are pushing Wardlow through it all. Post-match, Wardlow is cuffed again and led to the back. Eddie Kingston then sends a warning to Daniel Garcia and Chris Jericho. He says he plans to make sure that none of Garcia's family in Buffalo recognize him after their match on Rampage this Friday. And then we go back to the ring for another great matchup. Kyle O'Reilly versus Jungle Boy. This is the Owen Hart Foundation tournament match. As technically sound of a match as you can have here, uh, these two used everything in their moveset, including a snap, a snare trap by Jungle Boy and some hard-hitting, flying, high-flying action. Kyle O'Reilly just wanted it more, though, and hit a huge King Kong knee drop for the win at the 14-minute mark. Very enjoyable match. Backstage, MJF is pissed and is looking for another mercenary to take out Wardlow, and he's found it. Jake the Snake will unleash Lance Archer on Wardlow next week, all I got to say is, yes, please. Hook then take, took on Anthony Henry. It's Hook Dyna, Hook's Dynamite debut, and he didn't disappoint. He took it to Henry for a total of four minutes and laid out his opponent, despite Dan Housen trying to distract him. This kid's push continues, and I'm not mad about it because he's great in the ring. Post-match, Dan Housen challenges Hook, and the youngster walks away. Backstage, Frankie Kazarian is about to challenge for the TNT title, but his former partner, Scorpio Sky, asks him not to. He says he wants to get the title back, and then Frankie gets the first shot. Frankie agrees, but I'm left wondering why. Uh, Sky just kind of walked away from SCU, leaving Frankie high and dry, and 
Honestly, why shouldn't Frankie challenge for the uh, TNT title? He's up on the brackets. He's got a great record going. Why make the guy wait? Thunder Rosa then hypes her title reign and says, it's one defense down, and now she'll go double or nothing. I like to play on words there. Sam McGuire is out next in the ring and cutting a promo. He says thank you to everyone who cheers him, but then says F you to everyone who's been booing him and Ty Conti. Uh, Ethan Page, Dan Lambert, and Scorpio Sky interrupt. They issue the challenge for Sky's rematch, but Guevara counters. He says that he will say yes if they agree to a mixed tags between him and Ty Conti versus Paige Van Zandt and Scorpio Sky. Lambert does say yes, and so next week it'll be Sky versus Guevara in a ladder match for the TNT title. Again, let's go. These two had two great matches before. Adding the ladder only makes it better. Why not? The House of Black cut a promo and put the locker room on notice. When are these guys going to wrestle again? I like the promos. I love what they're doing, but we need them back in the ring. We then see Camille take on Britt Baker, and it's the return of Britt Baker to Pittsburgh and to AEW. She has not really been seen in the ring since losing the knockouts title. And uh, it was a good max base action that led to Britt Baker taking control. Camille fought back, but the hometown hero again got the upper hand. Britt hit the stomp and then locked in the lockjoy and got the win at the nine-minute mark. Great return for Baker. Post-match, Baker cuts a promo on the entire women's roster and says she plans on winning the entire Owen Hart tournament. We see a vignette for Sheeta and Deeb, and Sheeta said something that actually made me chuckle here. She said, Serena, how long are we going to do this for? It's been going on forever. I, I really did laugh at that because I've been saying that same thing about this. For Christ's sake, it's been like five months. Sheeta's been out with injury twice. Let's end this next week in the Philly street fight, please. We now come to our main event. It's Andrade taking on Darby Allen in a coffin match. This was a hardcore war from the beginning. Darby used his skateboard to take out Andrade. Elidio fought back and began beating Allen all over the arena. The Blade and Private Party tried to help, but Sting disguised as Sting. Yes, he was wearing a Sting mask and a hat. Came out to help Darby and get it back to a one-on-one match. Darby hit a suicide dive to the outside, which put Andrade almost in the coffin. And then Andrade's assistant tried to help, but Darby fought him off and closed the lid at the 14-minute mark to get the win. It was a bit of a clusterfuck, but I won't say that it was bad because it was actually a really good match. And I was kind of hoping Andrade would win, but it still didn't take away from how good the match actually was. I'm giving this show a 5 out of of 5 because it had great matches throughout the show. And every interruption led to something good and that we've already seen and was a continuance. It's not just the sake of an interruption for an interruption. Great dynamite right here. Absolutely one of the best shows they put on in quite some time. And now finally we come to AEW Rampage. One last show here, folks, and we start things off immediately in the ring. No entrances, no anything. Adam Cole taking on Tomohiro Ishii. This was a hard-hitting opening match with Ishii using strong style throughout. Cole tried to take the upper hand, but the lariats of Ishii kept him in control. Jay White snuck down and attacked Rocky Romero, which distracted Ishii and allowed Cole to hit a low blow. Cole then hit the boom and got the win at the 14-minute mark. Again, a very good opener here. A little weird that they didn't have any 
uh, announcements about them coming to the ring or any entrances, but that's okay. Quick start's not, not a bad thing. Backstage, the Jericho Appreciation Society, stupidest name ever, are told they cannot enter the arena. Jericho objects, but the security holds him back, and it'll be Garcia versus Kingston later tonight with no one at ringside. Also backstage, Hook lets Danhausen know that he now has his attention. This could be good. A mix of comedy with uh, Hook's cold uh, demeanor could definitely lead to something really good here. We then go back to the arena for Lance Archer versus Serpentigo. And this was a 90-second squash match. Not 90 minutes. 90-second squash match, ladies and gentlemen. Serpentico tried to jump on Archer, but he got caught. Archer hit his finisher, and it was over. Post-match, the post-match beatdown took longer than the whole match itself. I like Archer, but he goes and comes too often. One week he's on, one week he's off, and it leaves you wondering where the hell this guy is. He needs more placement on the roster. We then go to Eddie Kingston taking on Daniel Garcia. Great back and forth with both of these guys hitting hard shots. Kingston banged Garcia's head into the steps multiple times and to continue to brutalize Garcia until he unloaded with the back fist and got the win in 15 minutes. Enjoyed this one a lot, mainly because of the storyline that they're telling. It's continuing to progress, and I'm sure Kingston, uh, Santana, and Ortiz will continue their feud with the Jericho Appreciation Society. Stupidest name ever. Tony Schiavone then interviews Keith Lee and Swerve Scott. They let Taz, Starks, and Hobbs know that the war has just begun. In the arena, Ricky Starks retorts by telling both Lee and Strickland that they will finish what they started. We then go to Tony Schiavone interviewing Jamie Hayter, Britt Baker, and Tony Storm. Britt says Jamie will eliminate Tony with ease. Tony then asks if Britt knows what she's done in this business. My guess is no, because Tony ain't really done much of anything in AEW, barely did anything on the main roster or in NXT, and she so what? She won the May Young Classic and won the NXT UK title. Not a whole lot going on there, Tony. Mark Henry then does his split-screen interview where he gets the uh, combatants for tonight's main event, and we get Jade and uh, Marina Schaefer. Um, Jade says she isn't worried about Marina, and Mark Sterling says that he plans on uh, making Jade's celebration go off without any kind of problems. Jade and Marina Schaefer have a great matchup here. Champion took the early advantage and beat down Marina. In and out of the ring, Jade had the upper hand and was making her challenger look weak. Even the baddies got involved. Let me tell you something, folks. Red Velvet doesn't know how to throw a punch to save her life. Jade made a mistake and Marina took over and beat down the champion all over the outside. However, Jade didn't let it last long. Cargill hit a choke slam at the uh, ringside table and then set her opponent back in. Marina caught Jade in an ankle lock out of nowhere, but Jade used her much longer legs to fight out of it, and with constant shots to the head, she almost knocked Marina out. She then hit Jaded and picked up the win at the 15-minute mark. This was a really good main event, I can't lie. Both women actually showed a ton of in-ring ability in this one, and that's saying something because Jade Cargill was not one of my favorites a few months back, and Marina Schaefer ba- barely had a match in the WWE, so a <coughs> good job to both. Uh, I'm giving this uh, episode of Rampage a 4 out of 5. The wrestling action was great, and some backstage promos were good as well, but a couple seemed forced, uh, like the Tony Storm and Britt Baker one. Still a good show, though. 
nothing to steer clear from here. I kid you not. Um, Rampage and Dynamite were on the mark this week, and NXT definitely held it together. I'd like to see a little more from NXT next week as they're going into a big show. Um, so we have to wait and see. Now, before we get into that little something different that I talked about at the beginning of the show, I'd like to go ahead and do a cheap plug here from my brothers in the asylum on August. Hold on one second. Let me find the date here. There we go. On August 20th, 2022, on Baldwin Road in Parsippany, New Jersey, the Asylum will present WrestleBash. That's right, their first actual convention. The leaders in virtual meet and greets during the entire pandemic are now making it a convention where you can come and meet your favorite wrestlers in person. The doors will open at 12 p.m. and close at 4 p.m. And here is the list of wrestlers that David Gold, Nick Francis, Rocky Turner, and Mike Zeka have already brought in for the show. Carlito, Victoria, a.k.a. Tara, Red Velvet from AEW, Earl Hebner, the former Chris Masters, Rikishi, Ethan Page, Orange Cassidy, Ron Simmons, and the biggest headliner of them all, ladies and gentlemen, WWE Hall of Famer, just like Rikishi, just like Ron Simmons. Big Sexy Kevin Nash will be in the house as well. Make sure you get your tickets. If you want to have a vending table, they are still available. And I tell you now, all of the Asylum admin will be there working their butt off, including myself. It's going to be a great time. You've already heard the list of names that are going to be there. Make sure if you're in the New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, you make your way down. And if you live a little further, take the drive because this is going to be the first time of many conventions coming from the asylum. But you're not going to want to miss the first one, ladies and gentlemen. I assure you of that. And now on to that little something different I was talking about. I noticed this in the Facebook group. People were posting up a list of their greatest of all time. Favorite fe- current female, uh, favorite current wrestler, favorite female wrestler, and so on and so forth. So there are two, four, six, eight total character categories. I'm going to go ahead and do my top eight of these categories. Give you a little insight on who I like, who I don't like, and what I think is going on. So starting us off with the greatest wrestler of all time. And for me, that would have to be the Macho Man Randy Savage, rest in peace. His matchups with Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan. His WrestleMania three matchup with Ricky Steamboat, standalone. And everything that that man gave to this business was unbelievable. Macho Man Randy Savage is definitely my favorite and greatest of all time. Favorite current wrestler, Eddie Kingston. I love the way that this man delivers a promo. I love the absolute downright grittiness of his wrestling and just the way that he's come up from nothing into something. Definitely my favorite current wrestler. Favorite women's wrestler. If we're talking all time, it's Trish Stratus. 
if we're talking current, I'd probably have to give it to Sasha Banks. <coughs> Trish developed from a manager into a great wrestler, into one of the greatest of all times. Six women's title reigns. Absolutely tremendous matches with Mickey James, Victoria, Lita, you name it. Even when she was doing the whole brawn panties thing in the Attitude Era, Trish Stratus was number one. On the flip side of that, in my opinion, Sasha Banks is a great athlete, a great promo, and willing to put people over when she can. So there you go on current and of all time female wrestlers. Favorite high flyer? As of right now, I'd probably have to go with um, AEW's Dante Martin. He is tremendous. That kid can hit a move from anywhere. He gets incredible agility, and he is by far one of the best I've seen in a long time. On the WWE flip side of things, I'd give it to Montez Ford of the Street Profits. The height that that guy gets on his uh, plancha, senton, and uh, Frog Splash, there is no better. Favorite technical wrestler of all time, I have to give it to Chris Benoit. This is in ring. Don't come at me with all that. Well, he did this and he did that. I understand that. And as a man, I do not respect or look at Chris Benoit anyway. But as his body of work, Chris is one of the best, if not the best technical wrestler in the world. Um, as of recently, Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson will forever be, in my opinion, one of the greatest in-ring technicians, and he got better by coming back. So I see no reason why he shouldn't be uh, my favorite. Favorite match of all time? It's a tough one. But I mentioned it earlier. Uh, Ricky Steamboat versus Macho Man Randy Savage from WrestleMania III. Uh, I've had time to go back and listen to Ricky talk about how Macho Man and he planned out that match. Um, I've watched thousands, a thousand times, I think. It's, it's the best match you can have inside of 30 minutes. And that's saying something. Most overrated wrestler. As of right now, in WWE, I have to say that the most overrated wrestler. Goldberg. They keep bringing him back for no reason whatsoever. And the only thing they could tell us what a storyline for Goldberg is, oh, he's doing it for his son. That's what DVDs and VHS tapes are for. We don't need to see Goldberg come back, injure himself, injure somebody else, and then make his way out. We certainly don't need to see him get a world title shot anymore. You want to help enhance talent? You want to put over a guy like Bobby Lashley? That's fine. Please stop with the world title shots. Um... And then finally, most underrated wrestler. Uh, as of right now, I definitely give it to Eddie Kingston. Eddie should have gotten a title shot in AEW by now or a title shot anywhere. He's been in the NWA. He's been in Impact. He's been in Mexico and he's been in Japan. Eddie Kingston should have a title shot. I'm not saying he should be the world champion, but you give Eddie Kingston a 30-minute match with any world champion right now, you're going to have a barn burner. In my opinion, he deserves it. So, that is my list. 
if you want to tell me your list, go ahead and do it on the If You Smell What The Arch Is Cooking website. Feel free to do so. Have no fear. And <clears throat> that is going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank you guys for joining me, as always. Thank you for putting up with my dribble. Again, thank you for the support and for all of you looking out for me and making sure I'm okay. Um, and thank you guys for continuing to support the We Can't Wrestle and WrestleNet Radio family. Uh, all the shows that we have here, the umbrella of shows that we have here, you guys are great at listening to them all. Um, I will be back next week with, once again, AEW and NXT, as well as some quick hits, maybe um, grinds my gears. We'll be back. You never know. Thank you once again, and have a great night. I'll see you next time on If You Smell What the Arch Is Cooking.